God, thank you so, so much for the country that we live in. Thank you for the privilege we have of being able to live in a free country. But God, we know that the freedom that we have comes with a responsibility and that we are not only free in a society level, we are free in Christ that we might love, love, love and serve the people of this nation and our communities. And so, Father, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done here in the United States of America as it is in heaven. That you show us how to take on this responsibility of being citizens of heaven. And that you show us how to love and serve this community and this nation so that they might know their God and find freedom in you alone. Continue to guide us in your wisdom. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. And now I'd like to invite up Pastor David, who's going to share from Acts 13 today. Well, thank you, Pastor Kirk, and good morning, everyone. Happy 4th of July weekend. I hope you are enjoying time with with family and friends at the appropriate distance, of course. Uh, My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity. Let me be yet another voice uh, to welcome you to our Sunday morning service and worship if you are new. We continue our study in the book of Acts. Last week, we were in chapter 12. Today, chapter 13. We're going to read about Paul, his first missionary journey. Jesus gave the commission to the apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to bring the good news, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And Paul's missionary journeys push further and further out into the ends of the earth. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover, but before we dive in head and heart first, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that you gave me this week to prepare this message. But not just the time, Father. I'm I'm thankful for the way that your Spirit worked through your Word in me to convict me of many things in this text. So, Father, I'm thankful that your Spirit preached this to me this week before I preached this Word, your Word, to your people. Father, you, you have to speak through your Spirit. They don't, people don't need to hear me, they need to hear you. And so, Father, I ask, I beg you, that you would be the voice that they hear through your Holy Spirit. Now, Father, keep me faithful to this text. I believe this is your word, the word you've given me to give to your people, Father. So keep me faithful to that. Now, Father, We just pray that you do a mighty work. You say, you tell us that your word goes out and it never returns void. And so, Father, I'm just going to rest in that. I'm going to rest in that. You are the one that gave the word. Your word. It's living and breathing and active and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. So what am I? What am I but, but a servant of yours, Father? So be present, be powerful, be mighty, move in your people. 
convict and convert for your name. Amen. Okay, I want to play a little bit of catch up here because if you're joining us for maybe the first time, you're going to feel like you're walking into a movie about halfway through. In Acts chapter 11, we read about the gospel spreading to Antioch because of the persecution that arose after Stephen's murder. This is Acts chapter 7. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. Acts chapter 11 ends with Barnabas and Saul, that is Paul, two believers taking up an offering from the church in Antioch to help the brothers and sisters in Judea. Antioch is in Syria, about 475 miles north of Jerusalem. It's also about 145 miles east from Saul's hometown, Tarsus, in Turkey, where he had been before he joined Barnabas in Antioch. At the end of chapter 12, Barnabas and Saul returned to Antioch from Jerusalem after bringing that offering that they had collected. And they return with John Mark. Mark, who is the gospel writer. That takes us to chapter 13. The date is 45 AD. And so what I want to do today in Acts chapter 13 is to make a beeline for the gospel. A beeline to the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to get there and we're going to stay there. And I want us to see in this text how the gospel frees us to love unconditionally, follow obediently, live boldly, and die confidently. Now don't be troubled. I promise we'll be out of here by noon. I'm just kidding. Let's go. I want to start in Acts chapter 12, the last verse, verse 25, because that pulls into Acts chapter 13. So Acts chapter 12, 25, we're going to go through Acts chapter 13, verse 3. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. This is back to Antioch. Bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Point number one, the gospel frees us to love unconditionally. Look at verse one in chapter 13. Luke tells us of the five prophets and teachers, the leaders in the church at Antioch. And it's tough to see from the text just how diverse this leadership was and just how diverse this church was. Barnabas, this is the son of encouragement. He was a Levite priest from the island of Cyprus. Simeon, called Niger or black, most likely an African. And it might not be obvious, but you know who this is. We've met him before. Remember when Luke said and wrote that John Mark traveled with Barnabas and Paul? Well, in Mark's gospel, chapter 15, he records the following about Jesus' march to his crucifixion. 
Then the Roman soldiers compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, from Cyrene, the north coast of Africa, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and 20, Luke tells us how the Antioch church started. He says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus, Barnabas, and Cyrene, Simeon, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching Lord Jesus. Further, Paul writes in Romans 16, for the brothers and sisters in Rome to greet Rufus, who was again one of Simeon's sons. Now, I'm not knocking Luke's writing here. I would never. But far from being identified by the color of his skin, Simeon's fingerprints are literally on the cross of Christ. And now they are on the church of Christ. Lucius of Cyrene, so we have another North African. Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, I don't have time to get into this at length, but the lineage of Herod, the Herodian dynasty, is not pretty. Herod the Great tried to kill kill baby Jesus. Herod Antipas killed John the Baptist. Herod Agrippa I imprisoned Peter and killed James. But a little levity, if you will. In the Greek, the actual word here used for lifelong friend translates to nourished one. As in, Menaean and Herod literally used to breastfeed together. So there's that. But one of them, Herod, goes on to kill God's people. The other, Menaean, goes on to serve and lead and shepherd God's people. And then there's Saul, the ex-Jewish zealot. There's only one way to achieve this breadth and this depth of diversity, and that is through the unconditional love that the gospel provides. Of course, you can achieve this breadth of diversity in a corporation using money, but never the depth of it. Only a gospel based on unconditional love can achieve the breadth and depth of this kind of diversity. Now look at Barnabas and Saul. Let's narrow the focus into them. I'm just going to call him Paul from now on to make it easy. This is his Roman name. We first meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4, shortly after Pentecost in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit opens his eyes, opens his heart, converts him, and when we meet him, he's selling a field that he owns and laying the, the money from it at the feet of the apostles. So Barnabas, he gives his life to Christ, and then his next move is to fund the mission and provide now for his Christian brothers and sisters. Paul, we first meet in Acts chapter 7. And when we first meet him... He is standing over and approving of the murder of Stephen. The second thing we hear about Paul is that he's ravaging the church in Jerusalem, dragging off Christian men and women. 
to prison. He was breathing threats and murder against the disciples in Jerusalem. And then he takes his show on the road. And he, wa- and he goes to Damascus to find more Christians to persecute. The persecution that drove Christians north to Antioch in the first place came at the hands of Paul. Isn't it almost a sure fact that Barnabas, who we meet in Acts chapter 4, is persecuted or has friends and family persecuted by Paul in Acts chapter 8 and 9? Of course it is. So how is it possible then that Barnabas and Paul could be joined together in leadership and caring not just for other people, but for one another? It's the gospel. It's got to be the God. There's no other explanation for it. When I say the level and depth of diversity, this church in Antioch went way past skin color or culture or economic status, way past it. Only a gospel of grace and mercy could produce the unconditional love that would have, it would have taken for Barnabas and Paul to be reconciled. No longer enemies trying to kill each other, but partners in the gospel willing to die for one another. It's the only way. It had to be the gospel. But wait. See, it's almost too easy to layer the gospel in this unconditional love over Barnabas and Paul. It's two arms length. Can I tell you what first needs to happen before we can unconditionally love someone else? You first need to be unconditionally loved. It's the only way to be that free to love somebody else without condition. But but wait, pastor, man. You just created an impossible situation. Because if I cannot unconditionally love someone until I am unconditionally loved, then if you think about it, no one can unconditionally love. It would be like saying, hey, everyone on earth has a deadly virus. And I can cure you as soon as I'm cured by someone who doesn't have the virus. But I just told you, everyone has the virus. It would take someone coming into this world who didn't have the virus who could then heal us of the virus. You see? Jesus Christ stepped into this world, forever existing in unconditional love, and He is the one first capable of unconditional love. And when we receive that love like Barnabas did, and like Paul did, it heals us, it changes us, it frees us to do the same. Now, to be blunt, if you reject Jesus, he loves you enough that he's not going to force his love on you. He's not going to make you love him. But we don't clean up our act, get ourselves together morally, and then present ourselves to Christ as lovable. No, he loves us right where we are. He doesn't leave us where we are, but he loves us where we are and shapes us into his image. Look at Paul. He was literally on his way to persecute Christians when Jesus saved him. Is that not unbelievable news for you and for me? You you think you've gone too far down the road and you can't get back? You think you have a past? You think you're too jacked up for God to love you? You think you've out-sinned God's grace or the blood of the cross? 
You think you're the one person in history that God just cannot come to grips with. No way! If you are in Christ, you're made new. The old is gone. Your past doesn't define you. Your sins do not define you. What side of the tracks you grew up on doesn't define you. The way you were treated doesn't define you. The cross of Christ defines you. Yeah, but you don't know me. I don't have to know you. I know him. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. I don't have to know what you've done. I know what Christ did. See, it's not about how bad we are. It's about how incredible he is. And Paul, Paul would literally belly laugh at what we think is too far. It's the gospel. It's always about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of it, we are reconciled to God and unconditionally loved, which frees us and equips us to unconditionally love others. And if that's not enough, the gospel doesn't just free us to unconditionally love others. It frees us to follow obediently. Let's look at verses 2 and 3, and we'll add in the beginning of verse 4. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. First off, when they were worshiping and fasting and praying. Here's a Bible promise for you. A promise directly from God. When the people of God are desperate for the presence of God and devoted to the things of God, the Holy Spirit moves. Always. It's not an if, but when. The church shouldn't do anything without devoting itself to prayer, and the church cannot do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. Antioch did that, and the Spirit moved. Now, this is easy to miss if we read over it quickly. But Paul and Barnabas are not office interns here. No offense against office interns. They're not the rookies on the team. Paul goes on to write half of the New Testament. And they spread the gospel throughout the entire Roman Empire. So when the Holy Spirit said to the church in Antioch, set aside for me, Paul and Barnabas, the believers didn't go, who? Who? These are the spiritual leaders of that church, the shepherds. But far from living with clenched fists, they trusted the Lord and lived with open hands. The gospel set them free to follow obediently, trusting not in themselves, but in the provision and the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's too arm length in the text, so let's bring it home. Let's test this out. Hey, Trinity, set aside for me, Pastor Matt and Pastor Kirk, for the work to which I have called them. Hey, I know you've been saving up that money for X, but set it aside for me, because I want you to give it to him or her. Set aside your time for me. I want you to serve in this ministry. I want you to join this group. I want you to lead this group. 
Set aside your fear. I want you to witness to that person. Set aside your pride. I want you to slow down with that decision. Set aside your hurt. I need you to forgive that person. See, it's another game of Christian Mad Libs. When the Holy Spirit says, set aside for me, whatever we insert next, the gospel frees us to follow obediently. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not freely give us all things? We trust God for our salvation, but we don't trust Him with our money. We don't trust Him with our time, with our decisions, with our health, with our children, with our careers. He set aside His Son for you and me. We can trust Him. He's for you. He is for you. He is for you. Set aside for me. You got it. What do you want? Set aside what? It's yours. God, it's all yours. It's always been yours. I'm yours. The gospel sets us free to follow obediently, not living with clenched hands or clenched fists, but open hands. And the gospel doesn't just set us free to love unconditionally and follow obediently. It sets us free to live boldly. For the sake of time, I'm going to summarize verses 4 through 12. And I, please, I encourage you, go read through these verses. Don't take my summary. Read through them. But Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the Holy Spirit, as we just read, and by the Antioch church. They travel 16 miles to the coastal town of Seleucia, which should be on that map, kind of circled in red. And they set sail to Barnabas' home island of Cyprus to the west. They go through Cyprus preaching the word of the Lord in the synagogues. That was Paul's custom, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. They're summoned by a Roman official named Sergius Paulus who wants to hear what they have to say. But as they're witnessing to him, they're opposed by a guy whose Hebrew name is Bar-Jesus and whose Roman name is Elimus. He's a magician and a false prophet. Interestingly enough, his Hebrew name translates to son of a savior, son of salvation. And this bar Jesus, he's trying to turn Sergius Paulus away from the faith. But Luke tells us in verse 9 that Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks straight at Elimus, straight at bar Jesus and says, you son of of the devil, enemy of all righteousness. You are full of deceit and villainy. You make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Paul then says to him that the hand of the Lord is upon you. The hand of judgment is upon you. And boom, the lights go out. Bar Jesus is rendered blind. And as the lights go out for Bar Jesus, they come on for Sergius Paulus. And his eyes and his heart are opened by the Holy Spirit, and he believes in Jesus Christ. Now, this is an incredible story, but perhaps lost in it, but stated over and over and over again in the book of Acts, is the following from verse 9. 
and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit didn't just call Barnabas and Paul. The Holy Spirit didn't just commission Barnabas and Paul. The Holy Spirit was with Barnabas and Paul because the Holy Spirit dwelt in Barnabas and Paul. The church at Antioch didn't send Barnabas and Paul. Perhaps they're two best in their own strength. And Paul and Barnabas didn't go forward in their own strength. And neither do we. No, the same Spirit that dwelt in them is the same Spirit that dwells in you and dwells in me. The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave. That same power lives within you and lives within me. I, I, don't, I can't get too wound up on Romans 8. I'm tempted to. But Paul writes in that chapter that we didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But we, we received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption. Right? Adoption, it changes, it changes us legally. It changes us parentally. It changes us relationally. God looks down on you and looks down on me and he says, Mine! She is mine! He is mine! How can we possibly retreat in fear from mission knowing that? No, the, the gospel is not some watered-down pep talk. The Holy Spirit is not some firecracker. And the mission of Jesus isn't some paper route. The gospel of Jesus is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And the the Holy Spirit is a spiritual nuclear warhead. And the mission of God cannot be stopped. The gospel frees us to love unconditionally, follow obediently, and live boldly. And the gospel frees us to die confidently. Verse 13 tells us that Paul and Barnabas and crew, they set sail from Cyprus back to the mainland north, touching down in Persia. Mark leaves them and heads back to Jerusalem, which is sure I'm something we'll get into later on in our study of Acts. And again, as was customary, Paul, with Barnabas, enters the synagogue. (laughs) After reading of the law, I mean, how appropriate is that? After reading the law which was customary, they asked Paul if he has any words of encouragement. Any words of encouragement. Brothers and sisters, do you want to be encouraged today? If you're watching and you don't yet know the Lord, do you want to be encouraged today? Well, listen what Paul says to encourage them. He says, Men of Israel... And you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. And before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all of the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no. But behold, after me is coming the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, which were just read, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to their children by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, and be astounded and perished. For I am doing a work in your days a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Look at what Paul says to them. God chose our fathers. God made them great. God put up with them. God destroyed seven nations. God gave them judges. God raised up David. God brought Israel's savior. God raised him from the dead. God fulfilled his promise. God did not let him see corruption. The certainty in God. Who is in charge? Who is in control? Who's calling the shots? Who sets up kings and removes kings? Who made the promise? Who kept the promise? Who is the promise? It was God working throughout history, marching throughout history to deliver Jesus Christ, to deliver you, and to deliver me. What does that have to do with dying confidently? Yesterday was Independence Day, a day when we remember and celebrate freedom from a tyrannical government. And that freedom is nothing to shake a stick at. 
But there is a higher form of independence. There is an eternal freedom being offered here today. Do you want independence from the power of sin? Do you want eternal freedom from the guilt and the shame and the punishment that is to come? Then I repeat for you, verses 38 and 39, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you on this day, and by Him, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses, freed to love unconditionally free to follow obediently, free to live boldly, and free to die confidently. Barnabas was eventually stoned to death. Paul had his head cut off in Rome. Peter was crucified upside down, not seeing fit to die in the same way that his Savior died. Each of them loving unconditionally, following obediently, living boldly, and dying confidently. And we too can love follow and live knowing that when your eyes close here they will open there and the first face you will see is that of Jesus Christ saying to you welcome home my good and faithful servant this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word has gone out. The good news has been proclaimed. As it was then, so it is now. You you do not change. All who come to you, all who profess in the name of Jesus Christ and call on him will be saved. And yes, salvation is Salvation is a one-time event when we repent and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it sets us up for a life of gospel living. Of loving unconditionally. Free to love unconditionally. Of following obediently, not living with our hands clenched, but wide open. All we have is yours. Father, living boldly on mission knowing your Holy Spirit doesn't just call us, but he goes with us and you go before us. How can we turn, turn away in fear? That is the truth. And Father, the gospel, the good news of Christ, Father, we can, because of it, we can die confidently, knowing that when we, when we die here, we live there eternally forever in your presence, worshiping you. Father, your word has gone out. I pray that I was faithful and I pray that you use it for the glory of your name, the expansion of your kingdom. In Jesus' mighty name I pray.